or narrowly focused study of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. We started in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And from that foundational beatitude that undergirds all the others, we learned several important lessons. First, we learned that to be blessed in the Beatitudes means that you're in a good place. You're in a desirable position, an enviable spot. We also learned that being poor in spirit is not just economic or material poverty. And it's also more than just general humility. To be poor in spirit is to recognize our need for God's help as finite creatures and fallen sinners. And we learned that knowing that the kingdom of heaven is ours, to experience God's rule now and to look forward to God's reign in eternity is the most blessed place that we can possibly be. So if you put it all together, there is no better position to be in than to recognize our need for God's help and to know with certainty that that help has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is true blessing, no matter what the world thinks we may be lacking. But today we move ahead into the second beatitude, found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And while we acknowledged last week how counterintuitive Jesus' words may sound in verse 3, his claim in verse 4 really tests the limits of irony. This week's beatitude may sound so illogical, so nonsensical, so oxymoronic, so far removed from normal human experience that we can be tempted to dismiss it entirely. But if we do, we miss out on the incredible comfort that Jesus offers his disciples, even while we live in a tragically uncomfortable world. So with that, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that as cold as it has been, it's starting to warm up. Thank you that the sun is shining. And thank you that even in the middle of January, when all the holidays are over and it seems like there's very little to celebrate or very little to look forward to, Thank you that we have reason for rejoicing. And we also have reason for gathering. That as hard as it is to get up and put on our clothes and start our cars and hit the road on a day like today when we could sleep in, when we could stay warm, we have more than enough reason to go through that effort. Uh, And that reason is to gather together as siblings in Christ, to sing your praises, to pray for one another, to serve one another, to simply be together as siblings in Christ, and to hear from your word. So, Lord, I pray that we would be attentive to your word this morning, particularly Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And, Lord, I pray that you would bless us through the reading of your word. 
Help us understand who you are, who we are, how our world is, why it is the way it is, and also what we have to look forward to, what we have to embrace that goes far beyond this world. I pray that you would fix our eyes on those eternal truths this day, uh, rather than getting bogged down in the things that so often distract us and discourage us in this life. Again, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I'd be willing to bet that there's one thing we all immediately associate with the word mourn, and that is death. Whether it's the death of a family member, a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, a celebrity, or even a beloved pet, our minds instantly jump to thoughts of death when we hear that word mourn or mourning. We think of hospitals, funerals, and cemeteries when we hear that word. And you know, the same was probably true for Jesus' disciples. They were the primary hearers of this sermon, and it was true for the crowds listening in. The word mourn for this verse is most commonly tied to death. And let's also be honest. Let's admit that Jesus' disciples likely had a greater familiarity with death than we do. They encountered death on a more regular basis than us. Whether it be through acquiring food, sacrificing animals, or simply existing in a brutal world without antibiotics, running water, government safety nets, and nursing homes. Death was not some far-off or sanitized experience for Jesus' disciples the way it can be for us. For them, death was always close at hand. However, we also know, as Jesus knows and as his disciples knew, that we don't just mourn when someone dies. We mourn when a marriage falls apart, when a family is divided, when a job is lost, when a dream goes up in flames, when a treasured season of life that you know you can never repeat comes to an end, or when any other form of tragedy strikes. There's more than one reason to mourn. There's more than one time to mourn. And there's more than one way to mourn. But even if we grant all of those differences, mention all the nuances, and acknowledge all the varied forms that mourning can take, there's one thing I'm sure we can agree upon. One thing that is universally true. Mourning hurts. Mourning hurts. A place of grief is not a good place to be. 
It seems obvious that nobody ever wants to be in that position. And yet in this week's Beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Jesus says that if you're mourning, you are blessed. Now, how in the world should we decipher that? Is Jesus out of touch with the lived experience of grief? Maybe his identity as fully God has left him unable to relate to regular humans like us. Though I will say that if that's your guess, the author of Hebrews would like a word. Or is Jesus simply being cold and cruel to someone who's hurting? Maybe this is his way of telling us to keep a stiff upper lip. Get over it. Though that too seems to conflict with Jesus' track record of compassion and mercy for the suffering. Or maybe, just maybe, Jesus isn't doing either of those things. Rather, Jesus is teaching us that as real as grief is in this fallen world, there is also something beyond mourning that is just as real, more real even, than our greatest sorrow, pain, and heartache. And I think that last point might just get us somewhere. So again, Jesus says that those who mourn are blessed. Why? How can these people possibly be considered blessed? Because they will be comforted. Because they will be comforted. Okay, that provides a little bit of context, doesn't it? But it still raises some questions. Imagine for a moment that someone you know loses a loved one. And the usual thing hopefully happens. That person gets an outpouring of love, support, and encouragement. They get cards, they get flowers, meals, thoughts, and prayers, more than they know what to do with. But then a few weeks later, after that initial tidal wave of support has leveled out, You call to check in on them. And you know what that person says? They say, you know, I got to be honest with you. All that comfort was pretty great. I could get used to all this attention. In fact, I kind of wish I could lose a loved one more often. If that's what it leads to. That would be utterly absurd, wouldn't it? No one who is actually mourning would ever feel that way. No one who's grieving would ever say that. Jesus is not crassly teaching, even in a roundabout way, that mourning isn't so bad if you just consider the perks. That's not the point. What Jesus is saying is that as devastating as mourning can be, His disciples can experience a kind of comfort that outweighs even the most crippling grief. However, that comfort isn't found in the form of cards, flowers, 
and meals. As great as those things are. It can't be experienced in this world alone. A comfort that powerful. A peace that surpasses understanding. Can only be had when you expand your vision beyond this life and into eternity. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. The Apostle Paul says there, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, referring to those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You know, it's unfortunate that this verse, as good, as true, and as beautiful as it is, is so frequently and flippantly employed at the wrong time. We quote it, and we mean well, but we often say it a little too early. We don't give people time to mourn before we break that verse out. But our misuse of 1 Thessalonians 4.13 doesn't negate its inspired and authoritative content. Paul implies here that believers in Jesus can grieve with hope. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that sounds almost as silly as blessed are those who mourn. How can Paul possibly expect people to grieve with hope? That seems impossible, if not downright insensitive. Especially when the pain is fresh, the loss feels unbearable, and you are hopeless. But Paul tells us how we can grieve with hope. In verse 14, he continues, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Because Jesus died and rose again, we believe that his disciples, both those who have already died before he returns, and those who have yet to die, will one day rise again too. The reason Paul has the audacity to tell us not to grieve without hope The reason Jesus had the boldness to say that those who mourn are actually blessed is because this life, this world, and the hardships we endure now are not permanent. By his rugged cross and empty tomb, Jesus has robbed death of all the power it once had. And the weight of glory that we will one day experience when this risen Christ returns is not even worth comparing with the suffering that we experience now. We can say that and not dismiss or minimize the suffering we experience now. We say that because the glory that we will one day inherit is just that great. But moving beyond this longing for an eternal reward that outweighs and overpowers our temporary grief, what else might we learn from this beatitude? 
Well, this may sound simple, but it's actually incredibly important to know. This beatitude teaches us that mourning is not a sin. Mourning is not a sin. Jesus does not tell those who mourn to stop mourning. He promises them comfort. And Paul doesn't tell us to stop grieving entirely. He tells us not to grieve without hope. God's people don't have to be bubbly, peachy, happy-go-lucky optimists who pretend that everything is great all the time just because we know Jesus. The Psalms are chock full of mourning, grieving, and complaining. There's an entire book of lamentations in our scripture dedicated to the Israelites' mourning and processing after Babylon ransacked Jerusalem. And one more thing. Jesus, the sinless Son of God himself, mourned more than once in the Gospels. Now, can Christians fall into a state of excessive despair? Yes. And should we fix our eyes on our eternal hope when we're tempted to wallow in self-pity? Absolutely. But this beatitude assures us that mourning, in and of itself, is not a sin. Christians don't have to force a smile on the outside when we're aching on the inside just because we're Christians. And I don't know about you, but that alone is one small source of God's comfort for me. In addition, it's worth asking from this beatitude, what things should Christians currently be mourning? Well, most obviously, given all the talk about it earlier, we should mourn death. Death is an unwelcome intruder in God's good world, one that only made its presence known when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And in one sense, Jesus has already defeated it by rising from the grave. But in another sense, until Christ returns, we still see death at work. As a result, we look forward to seeing death eliminated entirely. But until that day arrives, Christians can and should mourn the problem of death. But even more pointedly, we should mourn the thought of death for those who do not know Christ. And if eternal comfort in the face of death and after death only comes through faith in Jesus Christ, Christians have all the incentive in the world to make his life, death, and resurrection known to all who will listen. We should also mourn the ongoing presence of sin, both in our world and in us. While it's easy to watch the news and become numb to it all, the various forms of injustice, suffering, and evil in our world should bother us. 
And when sin rears its ugly head in our own hearts, minds, and lives, we mourn. So much so that we're driven time and time again to the cross, where we're reminded of our forgiveness through Christ's body and blood. And last, we mourn with our fellow believers. Paul tells us in Romans 12 to weep with those who weep. In 1 Corinthians 12, he tells us that when one member of Christ's body suffers, we all suffer. So while it's impossible to perfectly empathize with someone else's pain, no one in this church, no Christian anywhere, should be utterly alone in our grief. The truth is that if we Christians aren't mourning, it may be because we've isolated ourselves from, deliberately closed our eyes to, or have simply grown far too content with the bitter realities of life in a fallen world. Don't get me wrong. Believers have immense cause for joy. But until Christ returns, we also have plenty of reason to mourn. And finally, how should we mourn? Well, to an extent, Paul already told us. We mourn with hope. We mourn with the hope of Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The promise that God will one day turn our ashes into a crown. We mourn with the hope of Psalm 126. The confidence that God will one day turn our weeping into joy. Laughter, even. We mourn with the hope of Revelation 21. The anticipation of the day when God will wipe away our tears. Death shall be no more, and all the causes of mourning that we mentioned a moment ago will pass away once and for all. That's how we mourn with hope. Some time ago, I performed a funeral for a person who, no matter how hard I tried to convince myself otherwise, was not a disciple of Jesus. He was a good man who loved many others and was loved by many others. But there was little to no reason to think that he was a follower of Christ. As likable, as funny, and as kind as that man was, he did not embody that foundational beatitude we read last week. He was not poor in spirit. He simply did not recognize his need for God's help. And while his funeral was moving in all kinds of ways, there were funny stories, there were good memories. I just could not help but feel like something was missing from that service. And the thing that was missing was hope that outweighed death. And that hope was missing because mourning apart from Christ is just mourning. There's nothing blessed about it. And that's not a good place to be. 
Because that kind of mourning lacks the promise of comfort that only Christ can provide. The comfort that Jesus promises in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. So simply put, Jesus' disciples are blessed when we're mourning because we know it won't be this way forever. Comfort is coming. And that means that even now, we are in a good place. We have a father who hears us when we grieve. Like he heard the Israelites' cries in Egyptian slavery, he hears ours. We have a Lord who mourned himself. He did it at Lazarus' grave over the rebellious city of Jerusalem and even hanging from his own cross. And we have a spirit who intercedes for us. Romans 8 tells us that's particularly true in our times of hardship. But we don't just have a God who can relate to us in our times of mourning. We have a God who has done and will do something about the root cause of our mourning. Because of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension in the past, we look forward to his return. We look forward to a day when glory outweighs all the pain that's piled up through the course of our lives in this fallen world. We look forward to a day when we will be comforted. And when that happens, we will be truly and fully blessed. Mourning is not how the story ends for disciples of Christ. Light will come and eradicate the present darkness. And because of that hope, we can call ourselves blessed now, even as we walk in the valley of the shadow of death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for... Your son, Jesus, thank you for your spirit, your word and your church. Thank you for your word, even when it grates against our everyday experience. I'm sure pretty much everyone in this room has experienced some form of grief or some form of mourning. And when you're in that season, it's impossible to see how this could possibly be blessed. But Lord, thank you for. Times like this, when your word teaches us things that we would not come to on our own. Uh, When you show us things that we could not possibly conclude on our own. Thank you for a peace that surpasses understanding that is only found in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can be comforted, even when it seems like comfort is nowhere to be found. Thank you that we can have hope even when all seems totally hopeless, when all seems totally lost. Thank you that even when we mourn, we are blessed. Thank you that we have reason for confidence that is greater than reason for discouragement. Thank you that we have something to look forward to that goes beyond even death, that goes beyond even the grave. 
Thank you that as your son Jesus rose, one day we too will rise, as all your disciples will rise. And Lord, even though death still has some power now, in the sense that it still breaks our hearts, we still have funerals, cemeteries are not going out of business anytime soon. In that sense, death does still have power. But Lord, thank you that you have robbed it of the power that it once had. Thank you that we don't have to fear it the way we once did. And thank you that we don't have to mourn it the way we once did before we knew you. In that sense, we are blessed. Lord, I pray for those who are mourning at this very moment, whether it's mourning fresh losses or remembering recent losses. I pray that the comfort that we have in our times of grief wouldn't just be something we look forward to, but something that you would give us even now. I pray that you would comfort us as we mourn. I pray we would mourn for the right things, mourn in the right ways, but Lord, also not mourn without hope. Help us keep our eyes fixed on you, fixed on eternity, even when the darkness seems overwhelming. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. That concludes our service for this morning. If you have any questions about who we are, what we do, we would love to have those conversations with you. If there's anything that we can pray about with you, especially if you're in a time of mourning and don't feel particularly blessed while you're doing it, uh, we would love to come alongside you and pray with you, maybe even weep with you if that's what you need, and point you to our hope in Christ, the way that we somehow, some way can grieve with hope, uh, even if it surpasses worldly understanding. And of course, if you don't know Christ, uh, if you long for that hope that you can't find anywhere else, that you haven't found anywhere else, that can even overcome mourning and grief, we would love to tell you about our Lord. So with that, I will close our service in prayer. We hope to see you again next week. Father, again, thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that even as we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, we know that we won't be in this valley forever. And I pray that you would give us the comfort of knowing that. Again, not just a promise of comfort far off in the future, but give us real comfort right now. Give us comfort by the power of your word. Give us comfort through your indwelling spirit. Give us comfort with the love and the service and the care of brothers and sisters in Christ around us, weeping with us as we weep, suffering with us as we suffer. And help us be beacons of hope in a world full of mourning. Uh, There are so many people in this world who are mourning without hope, because they don't know that there is hope that exceeds mourning. So I pray that you would help us be beacons of that hope as we go out from this place today. I ask that you watch over us in all the places that we go and all the things that we do in the coming week. Help us glorify you. Help us point others to our hope, even as we grieve ourselves. We love you. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.